Hey folks, this is your host, Paul Winkler. Thank you for listening to the show today. Before we get into the content, I want to tell you about a new workshop I'm hosting called Politics and Portfolios, How to Invest During Election Season. You can register for it at paulwinkler.com politics. A lot of people are worried about the market this year, and I want to help you know what to do. We're going to look at historical data and academic research to explain how markets behave in election years, and we'll use easy-to-read charts and graphs. I'll be live on Friday, February 23rd at 12 o'clock. But if you can't make it live, register anyway, and we'll send you a replay link. So go check it out at paulwinkler.com politics. Now, here's your show. Welcome to the Investor Coaching Show, a podcast to help you get an insider's view of the financial world and escape common investment traps. We look at the financial news of the day and help you make sense of it so you can relax about money. And here's your host, Paul Winkler. All right, we're back here on the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler, along with Evan Barnard and Ira Work, talking about money and investing. So I taught a workshop yesterday on politics and portfolios, and uh, that, I don't believe it's up on the website yet, but it, it might be. Uh, just, just keep an eye on paulwinkler.com. If it's not there, it's going to be there very, very soon. And you just, uh, if you want to check that out, you couldn't make the workshop live, you can do that. Now, Mike had actually sent a question in, and you know there are a couple ways you can ask questions around here. paulwinkler.com forward slash question, <laughs> or go to the website and put in your question on or, the website. Or come in and talk to us. <laughs> oh, yeah. That would be a novel idea, Paul. Yeah, you, you, you could do that. Call wow. 851-1950. I never thought of that. 851-1950, 10 offices, one number. A five one nine two fifty. All right, whatever. <laughs> Fifteen. So, yeah, twelve. Twelve. But who's counting? Uh, anyway, so <laughs> paulwinkler.com, you go to the you can ask questions. Nobin te- I know I know you teach being broadly diversified, understatement of the year award, uh, across asset classes and not timing the market, not stock picking, etc. However, uh, doesn't someone at a fund company have to pick stocks and or mutual funds? Okay. Yeah, when we talk about this, it's a, it's a really good question, Mike. So when we talk about investing and not stock picking and market timing, what we're talking about there is not going out and picking individual companies that I think this company is going to do better than that company. I, I don't want to go and say, hey, I think Amazon is going to outpace Apple uh, and I want to own them over Apple. So I want to own both of them in that particular case. Now, how do you choose these stocks you know how do you actually figure out which companies go in the mutual funds it is driven by if you're doing things the way we teach here it is driven by the asset class so if i look at let's say large u.s stocks as an asset class large u.s growth blend companies as an asset class roughly there are about 500 companies now there is something called the center for research and securities prices university of chicago and they literally break the market up into tenths deciles uh decile one 10 largest companies decile 10 10 smallest companies if you own a mutual fund investing in decile one and two it is going to be the 20 percent biggest companies in the united states 
and it is going to own all of the different sectors. It's going to have you're going to have healthcare in there. You're going to have technology. You're going to have biotech in there. You're going to, you're going to have energy stocks in there. You're going to have everything. We're not going to just pick one retail company like Lowe's. We're going to own Home Depot as well. We're going to own them both. So that's what we mean by not stock picking, not engaging in that. But we're going to own them all. Now, how would you own those companies? Well, when you're dealing with large companies, and let's say you're dealing with an index fund, it's going to be based on the size of the companies, which is the best way to do things. It is not a great way of doing it in other asset categories, but it is typically okay to do that with large U.S. stocks. You're going to hold Microsoft right now, as I speak, as being the very biggest holding in your portfolio. Apple is the number two holding in the portfolio. Uh, so, you know, these companies will be as a percentage of your holdings because one company is bigger than another. So, you're, so let's say if you only had uh, two companies, as I like to explain it, and one company is a $3 billion company and one is a $1 billion company. When you invest $4 in that fund, $3 goes to the $3 billion company, the really big company. Only $1 will go to the smaller company. Well, as you can see, there can be a problem if I do that throughout a whole portfolio. But typically what happens is fund companies uh, typically do that for large U.S. stocks. But unfortunately, bigger fund companies out there also do that for small cap portfolios. This is where I would diverge on how you pick the stocks in a small cap portfolio. The way I would hold the small cap portfolio is if it's micro cap, I would hold the bottom 20% of the market. So I would hold deciles 9 and 10. If I'm holding a small cap portfolio, it's 6 through 10. It would be the smaller half of the portfolio. When you get into value companies... I would hold, I would look at it and go, well, what defines value? You've got to determine that. This is a complicated question, but I'm going to try to keep it simple. I'm going to look at companies based on what price they're selling for compared to the book value of the companies. And I'm looking for funds that hold the bottom 20% as in lowest price companies compared to the assets minus liabilities. If I'm looking at international stocks, I am going to be choosing in international markets that are established for one or I am going to also be looking at emerging markets. Now I'm going to choose my emerging markets based on how many market makers there are in the various places. So how many security specialists are there? So they, it gets really, really stinking complicated. But I want you to get that the criteria is not based on what I think this company is going to do versus another. It is sheerly based on the size of the company, the price to book data on the company, the country of origin as to whether I put it in a portfolio. And I'm going to determine that based on what my allocation is, how much I'm going to hold in these various areas. So technically, the way a mutual fund is often built, which this differs from what I just said, is which companies we think are going to do better in the large U.S. stock area. So you might have a large cap growth fund, and it's investing in all the companies that are big growth companies, and the fund manager is trying to decide out of that universe of all large growth companies, which companies are better than others. That, I would submit, is a failed way of actually managing a portfolio, but that is what typically passes as investment advice, and that's what we rail against on this show. If I'm holding a small cap fund, I'm not looking and going, hey, there are 2,000 small cap companies. Which of the 100 companies that I think are going to do better than the other you know, 1,900? 
you know, or did I say 200 socks? Or what did I say 100? I think 100, you said right? 2,000. I, I can't remember. I said 2,000. I said 100 companies. Yeah. So, yeah, I said 1,900. I'm just making sure I'm keeping up what I'm saying. <laughs> but the numbers are adding up. If, if I look at that, I'm not going to go, hey, there are 2,000 companies. Which are the 100 best? I'm not going to ignore the other 1,900 because the other 1,900 have to pay to use your money as well. I don't just pick 100 and say those 100 companies should have to pay more to use your money than any of the other companies. That's the foolishness of stock picking, quite frankly. When you pick stocks, you're thinking that those companies are going to be willing to pay more to use your money than any other company, which makes zero sense. You know, you're looking at it and going, all of them are likely going to have to pay to use your money. So I'm going to own them all. I don't know which one is going to do better than the others. In other words, which one might end up paying more to use your money? You know, it's a way of looking at it. I'm going to own them all. You know, so when I'm looking at value companies, I'm doing the same thing. I'm looking at international companies. I'm doing the same thing. I'm international small, international large, international small value. I'm doing it based on the asset category, and I'm owning funds. Now, there will be funds that will take that universe of stocks, and this is something you want to do, and say, hey, there are small cap stocks, and there are some companies that fit in that region of small cap, but they're bankrupt, or they're real estate investment trusts, or they're limited partnerships, or they're IPOs, and they don't belong in the portfolio. So I might anti-pick against them for logical reasons because they don't fit in the asset category. I might actually exclude some companies because of profitability issues, which is another factor of investing. So I may say that there's a profitability issue. In, in other words, in English, this may look like a value company, but it's really a growth company based on their balance sheet. You know, so there might be some things like that. But in essence, I'm trying to be as pure to the asset categories I possibly can be. And I hope that answers the question. I know it's confusing, but that's as simple as I can make it. Listen to the answer two or three times. Or ten or, or 12. ten, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and, and yeah. you know, by all means, it's you know, it's one of those things. If you really want to know this stuff in depth, we are more than happy to teach on it. But yeah. you know, that that's it. Cool. Okay. The, yeah. So I've I've got something that'll kind of tie in. I think a lot of the things we've talked about today. Yeah. Stock picking and you know various as you know CNBC the whole bit. Uh-huh. Um, our family is a little bit into space. And, you know, we, we enjoy both, you know, science fiction movies as well as just actual space. My brother-in-law is a real space nut. We've gone yeah. to see the, you know, the space shuttle take off oh, yeah. and all that That's kind of cool. stuff. You That's know, cool. Yeah. I grew up in Houston, and so we'd go down to the, you know, go down to NASA. That mm-hmm. was kind of our school field trip thing instead of going to Opryland or How whatever, fun. right? So uh, on my wife's birthday on Thursday was the scheduled landing for the Odysseus spacecraft, and we actually had our first U.S. moon landing since 1972 on that Thursday. Amazing? Here's the interesting thing. The company that was leading that project is a company called Intuitive Machines. And on Thursday, that stock was trading throughout mm-hmm. the day at around saw this. Eight, yeah. eight or nine bucks a share. Uh-huh. Okay. And the, the craft was scheduled to hit the moon. I think around 624 Eastern time or something like that was the schedule, maybe 524. But when market, when the market closed in regular trading at four o'clock, it was $8 and 28 cents a share. Mm -hmm. And so everybody is still glued to whatever CNBC, Uh Fox Uh business, the NASA channel. Uh And in after hours trading or extended hours trading at 630, they still didn't have news uh-huh. that it had landed. Yeah. The stock price was $7.99 a share. And then no they job. got communication with yeah. the spacecraft. Hey, it's there. 
we can communicate, et cetera. And in minutes, the stock price was at 12 bucks. Now, oh, this so is still, went from eight to seven to 12. Went eight to seven to 12 in a period of about 30 minutes. Yeah. Now, the next day, they, you know, market yeah. trading opens. Yeah. And the price is down to about 975 or so because they yeah. figured out that it fell over. And so oh, by, by the end of the day, it had closed at four o'clock Friday uh-huh. at 9.59 a share, kind of back to the range. Right, right, right. And in after hours trading right now, or as of yesterday, it was down to $6.40 because the news had broken Hey, we don't think it's going to be able to do as much as it was supposed to do or whatever. Yeah. But what a great example. And and now, A, they landed a spacecraft on the moon, and so I'm sure they'll try again and so forth. Mm -hmm. And but all of those changes, you know, we talk about it. What changes the stock price? News. Right. New information. (laughs) And it could, you know, it's doing this. Oh, I get a new piece, bam, it's up. Oh, we get some more information, bam, it's down. It could be that. You know, some mystery arm, you know, there's a, a storm on the moon and it right. drops up. Right. And on Monday, it could be trading $30 this year. You know, who knows? But it was just really <laughs> instructive because <laughs> the man on the moon's going to yeah. prop it up. <laughs> <laughs> the Pillsbury Doughboy. And, uh, you know, but that's the news ties to that. They keep you engaged. Uh yeah, you know, I I would love to see that it had something that just you know pushed it back up and it could do all these experiments, but I just thought that was a great example because we just happened to be following the the lunar landing because we just like that stuff. Yeah, and it just turned into a really interesting thing, you know, or investing story, and on the Nasdaq, you know, tr- you know that would be a great Evan. That would be a great take the chart of that stock. Yeah, over a day, mm-hmm. and then underneath when it jumps. Or it goes down. Yeah. Just put what happened oh, to yeah. make it do that. That would be a really great illustration yep. for a workshop. Yeah. Yeah. I can absolutely do that. And as you might guess, or not necessarily guess, it led all of the stock trading volume in extended market trading on the NASDAQ. <laughs> it doesn't surprise Almost me. Almost 14 million shares cha- traded in aftermarket Unreal. trading. That's that. a cool story. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Coaching Podcast. Now, you may be one of these people that's listening and realizing, wow, investing, there's a lot more to it than meets the eye and financial planning tax laws constantly changing and recognizing that maybe you might need some help in this area, but you don't want just anybody to help you out. So we have 10 offices in the Middle Tennessee area, and everything we do is fee only. We align our interests with your interests. So you can get it initial 15-minute phone call with any one of our offices just by going to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. That's it. Every one of the offices is run by somebody with 20 plus years experience. They're all degree planners. They all have academic backgrounds in investing and you can get the help that you need. So if you want to set up a complimentary phone consultation, just go to paulwinkler.com forward slash call. And we look forward to seeing you soon. All right. We are back here on the Investor Coaching Show. Paul Winkler, Evan Barnard, and Ira Work talking money and investing. Evan, you got something. Yeah. the uh, Kind of sticking with the international theme, uh, doing some looking. Uh, it was interesting. I saw an article in Bloomberg. 
How Nestle Factories Keep Running in a Country Torn by Putin's War. And that so, is interesting. Yeah. And, you know, off the bat, Nestle itself is an international company. You right. Know, Hershey's is one, Nestle's, but they're the same customers and I always, that kind of stuff. I always like to use them as, you know, they're both chocolate places. Right. right. <clears throat> and uh, companies are contending with power cuts, declining demand, and staffing shortages as workers join the fight or flee the country. And so, you know, here we talk about labor disputes or so forth, mm-hmm. but can you imagine trying to keep your company running and profitable sure. in the midst of a war? Yeah. Uh, whenever uh, Like Rosie the Riveter type stuff. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Um, each time an air raid siren sounds over the western Ukrainian region of Lviv, Nestle's production lines come to a halt. While staff decamp to the bomb shelter, often for two hours or more, rows of chocolate-covered Nesquik wafers sit out in the open. By the time it's safe to come out, the candy bars are no longer fresh and will need to be crushed and recycled. And so, you know, that they say that happens about twice a week over there that wow. all 250 employees go to the some of the, they have three basement shelters there. But, you know, they're worried about their families that aren't in the shelter. Nestle's been running this facility in the Ukraine since 1998. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, the. We talk about, oh, well, that's international investing. That's well, in Europe, it's so local investing. they're actually investing. running an operation in Ukraine. Yeah. The, the factory is in Ukraine. Yeah. It's a Swiss company, and they probably send the products here or maybe, you know, keep it in Europe. But, you know, it's just think of they're dealing with supply chain issues. You know, it's harder to have, you know, mm-hmm. inventory on hand so that they can keep it. Um, but they said one of the greatest challenges is navigating the emotional and psychological fallout of a conflict that's already killed nearly 10,000 civilians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very different thing that we had, you know, with COVID here, right? Yeah. But it's the same psychological impact of, oh, I can't work or I had to be sick and we couldn't come in. Right. All of those things. Uh, they're so- trying to do that. So they're, you know, to keep things running. They've got special psychological training coming in. They have counselors coming in to work with the employees, just like when we have, you know, a school incident. Yeah. They bring in counselors to talk to the kids and parents and so forth, Um, providing assistance if someone has lost a family member so that they can keep that worker going, uh, Uh you know, keeping operations running. But uh, energy is another issue there. You know, that's kind of an instability of. Are we going to have enough power to run the operation? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it was t- to me, it was just a good example of companies will do what they have to do right. to uh, to stay profitable or regain profitability. And you know, it's not that someone has in their desk drawer, okay, what will we do to motivate employees if there's a war? I mean, they just they adapt when something mm-hmm. happens. Okay, let's get counselors, you know, so forth. Mm-hmm. It's uh, to me, it was kind of a heartwarming story that they're still producing in the midst of all that's going on over there. There's a lot going on over there, and uh, you know, a lot going on over here in America too. So, you know, one of the things I want to just let you know, we have that workshop, politics and portfolios, how to invest during election season. We did that workshop Friday. It is out there. You can go out there and sign up for it. We'll send it to you when we put it together, paulwinkler.com. This is the Investor Coaching Show on Supertalk 99.7, DeleteM. Hey, this is Paul Winkler. Hope you enjoyed today's edition of the Investor Coaching Show. 
You want to learn more about what we do, go to our website, paulwinkler.com. You can watch some of the videos there, and if you're not already a client, you can set up a free initial consultation. Until next time, I'm Paul Winkler, reminding you that I believe that more educated investors are more confident investors, and confident investors are more successful investors. Have a great one. Advisory services offered through Paul Winkler, Inc., an SEC-registered investment advisor. The opinions voiced and information provided in this material are for general informational purposes only and not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine what investments are appropriate for you, please consult with a financial advisor. Paul Winkler, Inc. does not provide tax or legal advice. Please consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your particular situation.